With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pissed me off. It's really weird over the course of someone's career when they're a rival of your team that you can appreciate them as a player. He was a like amazing player, but I, I did love to root for him. Who else we have for 37? Uh, I always remember Rodney Harrison wore 37 because when he was getting dusted on that jump ball by David Tyree. <laughs> yeah, Rodney Harrison, Steven Strasburg. Strasburg, Connor Hellebuck nowadays wears, uh, wears Is he the best goal in the league? Yeah, right, right now he's on fire. Hell, hell he's solid. Yeah. I, 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 cat's out of the bag here. But I've probably bet like 30 Winnipeg Jets unders this year. <laughs> and I've been as a result of ki- him. killing it on the Winnipeg Jets unders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only thing. Jets alt unders moving well, forward. My only saving grace is a, is a better right now is Winnipeg Jets unders. Actually, that's not true. I've actually been having very good few months. But uh, this, this fucking team right here, Dallas Cowboys. No good. No good. They no boy. Rocked, not even close. They rocked my <laughs> week, man. They rocked. When did you when did you say this game's over? I told my wife When to, was it? I told my wife to go upstairs after the Packers scored the first touchdown, seven nothing. I'm like, you're not gonna want to see me like this. No, but when did you actually like concede that they weren't winning the game? It took a while to get into that like at the half did you still think they were coming back from ten they were down ten. I I, I was considering Green Bay live prices at the half. Because I did not think Dallas was gonna come back in. So so but would you were you like when did you give up? It's hard to pick pick the exact moment. I watched Green Bay get the ball, go over the entirety of the field. I turned to, to Diana. I said, this is very bad. She's like, why? It's only just... A fr-. I'm like, Dallas doesn't play from behind. And when they do, they tend to force it. Like, game plan out the window. She's like, oh, you know, you're, you're always like this. I'm like, we're done. We're, we're toast. I'm like, go upstairs. You don't want to see me like this. Before I knew it was like 21 nothing. I, I, I don't even... Like, I'm so... F- fandom can be plus EV or minus EV depending on the time of the year or the time of your life. And I often wonder what my life would be like if I just didn't root for any teams. Think, think about this a lot. My teams right now, the Cowboys, the Leafs, these guys have no hope. But they're good enough in the regular season every year. Yeah, they're the same team. They, they really are the same team. I cheer for the same team across different sports. But it, it's painful, man. It's depressing. So I think they were actually up 20 at the half. I may have mis- mistaken. It was 27-7. Yeah, so they were up 20 at the half, and you were looking for Green Bay Live. <laughs> Spread, I assume? Everyone was talking about this. Like, you know, I said this in the, <laughs> I, I said this in the New Year's resolution uh, on uh, that I'm, I'm not going to, like, proclaim a game is over until it's over publicly. Oh, but I can tell you in my head, I thought that game was over. So you're laughing right now, but I was looking for Green Bay money lines live. Then I saw them and I'm like, ah, mm, a little, I don't remember the exact numbers, a little bit outside my range. This is a true story. Because everyone was like, oh, this game's not done yet. Everyone, my friends, whatever, Dallas offense. I'm like, no, no, no. They're chasing the lead. They're, they're toast. Couple of couple of buddies in group chats were all r- rushing at the half saying like, 
all-time chance to live bet Dallas. And I was looking at him like, I don't know. I don't know if they have this one. 20, 20 is a Should've lot. Should have sent them my way, and I would have let them know. I appeared in a lot of Reddit threads this week. You did. Because really? I had like a meltdown live on Twitter while the <laughs> Cowboys were playing. And I made my way to the top of many uh, Reddit threads. People so, were sending me those all week. So at the half, what I actually did was I was like, okay, well, I wonder where I can find the, uh, the best and accurate price for this game. So right at the half, I went on my computer, typed it in, Pinnacle Sports. That was the that was the toss to Rob. I it wasn't my best, but that was the toss to Rob. I thought, well, you, I, you looked really you're shrugging your shoulders. You look at <laughs> I, I, I didn't know how else to toss it. I've no, been no. I've been on a, a heater. I have like seven <laughs> incredible well, tosses dude. in a row. You know what? I, I knew exactly what was happening. Was I not on a heater prior? No, no, guys, <laughs> I want I want to make it very clear. I knew what was happening, but I thought there was more coming. I thought like you, you're like. You like you were, you know, it, like gonna say something. Uh, oh, okay, else. cats out of the bag. I made it up. Guess what? I was not doing at the half, rushing to bet Green Bay. But you know what? <laughs> if you were rushing to make a bet at the half, you would definitely go to Pinnacle Sportsbook because they're the world's sharpest sportsbook and they pride themselves on everyday competitive odds, especially in the live betting markets. You go to some sites, they're juicing you to shit. Crazy hold percentages. Pinnacle prides themselves on keeping those hold percentages down, making the prices fair for everyone. So if you're in Canada, make sure you check out Pinnacle Sportsbook. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle. They've been in market now for 25 years. 25 years. Can you believe that? I, I oh, can. Oh, that's more than Zach's been alive. 25 wow. years. It's the... Yeah, Is same it? amount. Oh my god, I, I was—I didn't even actually know that. You must be 19 plus, not available in the U.S. As always, please play responsibly. So, it, if you were literally born when Pinnacle started, you're eligible to play on Pinnacle. It's true. That is how long they've been around. And if uh, you are going to play, please use code Hammer when signing up. H A M M E R for those who, who can't who can't spell, spell Hammer. All right, we have um, we have an interesting guest for today, and with that, we're going to start the show. Our guest this week on Circles Off is an integral member of Gambling Twitter. You can follow him at CostanzaBets2. He's a semi-professional better who goes by the alias Gambling Frank Costanza. Frank, welcome to Circles Off. How's it going? It's going good. Good to be here. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I got a little bit of a bone to pick with you from some past tweets, which we'll get to uh, at some point over the course of the show. But let's oh, start. Great. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of them. Believe me, I have some bookmarked. But right. no, off the rip, I got something to address. So you, you see, this guy talks a lot of trash. He's talked a lot of trash about me, Rob, a lot of people in the community. But he's refusing to show his face. Classic keyboard warrior, not coming on. <laughs> and you know what, buddy? That says all we need to know about you. But welcome to the show. Obviously, all in good, all in good love. No, uh, I mean, I, I think. Um, you know, if if you want to, if anyone wants to face to face Zoom, hit me up. You know, not afraid of anybody. I'll face to face. Let's do it sometime. <laughs> Let's do it right now. <laughs> Different with an audience for sure. I get it. Um, all right, let's let's start with the brief background on you, Frank. How did you get involved in the in the sports betting space? And uh, yeah, I, let's let's just start there, and then we'll follow up on that. Yeah. So I think. Um, I got into sports betting maybe a little bit different than a lot of the people who were like seriously doing it. I think they maybe get interested at a younger age, even if they don't yet know what they're doing. But 
I was actually very like anti-gambling when I was growing up. I think um, <laughs> this is funny. I one of the I was really into like mythology and different folk tales when I was a kid. Um, there's this one Indian story where there's a king whose cousin is super jealous of him because he wants to be the king himself. And he he tra the cousin tricks the king into like playing like a dice game because he's like the OG sharp advantage player. He can do like dice control and some shit like that. And he he basically tricks the king into Martingale chasing all his losses until he loses the whole kingdom. Um, and that just stuck with me for whatever reason. So I just was kind of like, all right, always be careful with money. Don't get into gambling. Um, so yeah, but but I was very interested in sports analytics. Um, and I think there was, you know, you guys know the old uh, Grantland site with uh, Bill Simmons? Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, so I, threw, I think a lot of the writers, I think mainly Zach Lowe was on there. He kind of, I think he kind of reading him and listening to his podcast, it kind of taught me like, okay, these stats matter. Like, this is what you should look for in a game if you really want to learn what's happening and not just get caught up in like mainstream media narratives. Um, so yeah, that got my interest in uh, sports and analytics. Um, the betting side came in from listening to uh, Haralabob. Um, he used to also come on some Simmons pods and... That was the first time I maybe considered um, that you can actually make a little bit of money betting on sports. Um, I think, so right after I had listened to him for one, for the first time, like a few days later, I was listening to First Take and uh, Skip Bayless was talking about how LeBron couldn't win without Dwayne Wade. Um, you, I think you guys are Raptors fans. You might remember this. There was a series back, I think, 2016 Conference Finals the Cavs had just lost two in a row to the Raptors. They had lost, like, they had blown fourth quarter leads in both of them. And Skip Bayless is going like, oh, LeBron's a choker. He's going to lose this series for sure. And I was like, well, you know, this guy is on the biggest sports show. Maybe sports books, like, set the odds based on his opinions. And if they're actually pricing the Cavs as underdogs, like, I'm going to go bet, like, what I thought was an insane amount of money at the time, maybe only a few hundred bu bucks, but... I was like, all right, this is gonna be my my big start. I'm gonna I'm gonna get rich from betting sports. But then I logged on to like Bovada or something and the Cavs weren't underdogs. They were like minus seven hundred favorites. <laughs> so I was like, well, it's I guess I was right, you know, sports betting is not gonna make any money. Like Cavs always wins. So I, I kind of gave up on that for a few years. Um and then the next time I really got into it was actually during the the initial COVID lockdown. Um, that happened when I was in uh, in college, so I had to come home, wasn't doing much. Everyone was kind of talking like, oh, you should come out of the pandemic with like new skills, new hobbies, something like that. Um, so I just decided, okay, I'm going to make sports betting like the new skill that I develop or try to develop. And um, I think I got lucky. Like at that time, a lot of people like uh, Captain Jack was... He had just started trying to make like some YouTube videos teaching people the basics. Um, that was definitely helpful. It got me started um, without as much pain and early losing as I otherwise might have had. And yeah, it's just taken off from there. I think um, this was a good time to come up with all the interest in, from legalization. I think, yeah, so that was my start. I want to pick it up right there. Before I do, by the way, the Indian mythology story reminds me of me and Johnny rolling dice in the office and how uh, I always convince Johnny to take worse than uh, normal odds, which he'll 
He'll always do. If it's for a friend, I'll sometimes I'll give a bet <laughs> back, you know? Uh, or, or the little roulette wheel we have. But, I, okay, so you, you talked about COVID being the time that you're really starting to learn about sports betting. I, I want to press you a little bit there in terms of how you were able to stumble upon, like, the Captain Jack stuff versus, I won't single anyone else out, but a lot of the other stuff that's out there that may not be so valuable because I find it to be incredibly challenging in the space, um, especially like when I'm putting out educational videos or we're coming up with topics for Circles Off here, I do quick Google searches, I do YouTube searches. The vast majority of the stuff that I find out there is uh, completely irrelevant and, and meaningless and sets people down a, a pretty bad path. How are you able to, to stumble across the quote unquote good content? Um, I think I think a big thing was I was already very interested in sports analytics, so it was maybe easier for me to figure out like, okay, this guy, like this stuff he's saying is just not related at all to what's actually happening on the field. This is just you know something he's making up um, versus uh, maybe content that's more useful. It it's like I guess more rooted in an analytical thinking. Um, yeah, I think just having a basic knowledge of sports and like what actually matters in sports was maybe important in me getting onto, like you say, like good, helpful content at first. Was the plan to, to turn this into something big? Like was, were there aspirations um, to get to like a semi-pro level or was just something that you thought you could make like a little bit of side cash in the early going? Um, I don't know. I guess it was definitely, it was, I think it, I, I more thought of it as like, just a, uh, I thought of it as just a COVID hobby, honestly, like, um, and then, but I think it kind of reached a point where I realized that there's actually a little bit more money to be made even beyond COVID um, when the world starts up again. So yeah, kept go, kept going at it. So what are you working on right now? Like, what are you betting these days? Um, So I'm, I've been focused mostly on uh, NBA, NFL, and tennis. I think those were just the sports that I was already interested in from like watching and playing growing up. So I had little bit of familiarity and domain knowledge, which is very useful when you're trying to learn how to originate something. Interesting that you say that, because I have conflicting opinions on that. I agree with that. There's been a sentiment out there for a long time, though, from people that find that it's actually harder to originate the sports that they um, grew up following because they have like specific biases. Uh, a good friend of mine, for example, pitched like minor league college baseball and thinks he knows baseball inside and out. But his results in baseball have always been the worst, maybe double counting, over accounting for something that he feels is valuable. Have you ever run into situations like that? Um, or or is it just like seamless for you because you do understand the sport? I think so. I, I think like it's more than just understanding the sport, right? You need to understand some basic, um, the basic metrics that are kind of the foundation of creating a number, right? So like, like NFL, for example, you need to know EPA and success rate. And then from there, you can kind of go to like, oh, I know this sport, like I think this guy's going to struggle against like cover three more than man or something like that. But if your whole read is just based on maybe that subjective thing and you have no data to back that up and you don't have any data to create a baseline, then you're going to run into trouble. But if you have kind of a little bit of statistical background in knowing how to maybe formulate a baseline and then you throw in your subjective opinion, I think that will work a lot better. Now, uh, in terms of modeling, 
you say that you had some interest in analytics prior to that. I don't know what you studied in school or anything along those lines, but probably the most frequent question that I get via Twitter DMs is people who reach out to me and be like, I want to model the NFL. I don't even know where to start. For you, did you know the starting point? Was it something that was a, a seamless transition for you? Or was that something that you actually had to learn on top of just how the betting market work, betting markets work? Um, so I think, okay, if, if we're going with NFL, I think maybe some people think like to create a model, you need to like create your own stats. Um, that's just the, the farthest thing from the truth, really. Like it's very unlikely you're going to create a stat that's better than what's publicly available. Like we discussed EPA success rate, like. I think if you want to create a model, you should look into using those to build your model instead of trying to think like, oh, you know, I'm going to create my own stats. Like, I think that's almost impossible unless you're like God level, like Matt Quan or something like that. Right. Interesting. Um, so are you just modeled like basically straight modeling right now for the major markets? Is it props like, you know, um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, so like NBA, I do everything. Um, NFL, like definitely more props. Um, I, I, I don't think I can beat, you know, NFL at post. So early yeah, in that case, it's more props and like early week sides and totals. And then remind us, or if, I don't know if you've mentioned it already publicly, but are you, uh, in like a regulated betting state? Um, yeah, currently I am. Okay. Awesome. So you're basically, it's like a lot of regulated market, like full, I'm, if you don't want to talk too much about your, your betting, that's fine. Just, um, you know, always nice to paint the picture like what what are these guys actually betting especially for people who uh you know don't necessarily keep like the most public profile on twitter like you yeah i mean so i think yeah i got into i talked about so like um and nba like definitely like i guess saying nba everything like player props sides totals um you know i love and nba playoffs is my favorite thing like just because nba regular season is more just model based um you know, teams are just trying to get through the season uh, versus playoffs. They're, um, you know, they, they, it's more matchup specific. Like everything's like, it's more styles make fights in the playoffs, which is what I really enjoy. Like, I think you asked me earlier, am I straight modeling? Like the answer is no. Like I definitely believe in the eye test in like styles make fights, things like that. Um, I think you need to, you need to model to get like kind of a baseline number, but I definitely believe in maybe some more subjective opinions on top of that how much do your models different from sport to sport or your your style of handicapping so you mentioned you do nba you do nfl you do tennis three very different sports um did you build like different types of models for those does one sport have more of a subjective feel than the rest of them or is it just pretty much consistent across the board so i think big picture like the uh, my approach is kind of founded from actually more um so I played a bunch of tennis, like pretty competitively growing up. Um, and I think my whole betting style has kind of been shaped by that. So tennis is like, it's a one-on-one -on -one sport. So I think anything that's one-on-one, -on -one, it's going to be very matchup dependent versus just pure like power ratings. Um, like this is an oversimplified example, I think, but like in the NFL, like if you're, if your offensive tackle is weak and you're going up against like miles, miles Garrett, TJ Watt type guy, like there's a few adjustments you can make. You can like double with a tight end or running back or something like, Obviously, these are not panaceas, but there's a little bit of a solution. Um, versus like tennis, um, you know, if you if you're a bad returner and you're playing a great server, like that's just going to be a big matchup problem the whole time. There's no one who can help you out. So, 
that's kind of shaped my thinking across all sports. I probably value matchup uh, advantages a lot more than most people do who are maybe more just like, okay, here's my power rating and I'm just going to go with that. The rest is narrative, noise, whatever. I, I don't believe that. I I value like specific matchups, I think, more than most people. Fair enough. Now, in the tennis market specifically, considering it's one-on-one, similar to like the UFC market that Johnny bets into and, and stuff like that, do you think that the mark, like, I, let me phrase this in the way that I, uh, I think is best. Do you think that what you're doing is unique to yourself, right? Because like some, pe- there's got to be a lot of people out there that are handicapping this based off of, of matchup, right? Like where does your edge come from specifically in tennis? Because I can't see that as, as something that, you know, other people are not accounting for. Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, I think a, a lot of people are accounting for it. Um, I think, I mean, tennis is very efficient market. I mean, it's a, it's a very liquid market. I think, I think clo- closing lines, definitely a lot of this is accounted for. Um, maybe in, in uh, opening lines, I think maybe some of this is not as much accounted for. Um, and well-known players, like it's obviously accounted for, like, I think everyone kind of knows the strengths and weaknesses of like Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Um, maybe not as much for lower ranked players. Um, and I think specific edge in tennis, I think, you know, it's it's a global sport. Players are traveling all over the place. Um, through, there's like, that's something you have to keep track of. There's a lot of players. There's like, I think, you know, an example, like, you know, in the NFL, there was like the game where Kansas City was like traveling to uh, Germany and that line moved a ton just on the, uh, just because of the rest, I feel like, right? Yeah, I, I, I personally think that's why it moved that week because Miami flew out to, to Germany very early in the week. And I think Kansas City flew out on the Friday, um, right. which was deemed by, I mean, a lot of the uh, the sharper NFL minds that I, I follow um, that we're talking about, it deemed that to be a huge, huge advantage for Miami getting acclimated early in the week. Right. So I believe that was a huge advantage too. Um, obviously that lost, but whatever. Um, but my point is like in the NFL, that's like a once in a season type of thing. Whereas in tennis, like players are traveling from like South America to Asia, like multiple times in a season. So it's like, if you just keep up with like kind of travel and rest and all this kind of stuff, I think there's definitely some edges to be had just out, out of that. Now you're fairly new to, to betting. Wait, uh, are you bet? Are you betting full time? No, no, not full time. So are you, are you working as well or is in school still? Right. Uh, graduated a little bit ago, so working now and then doing the betting more on the side. Nice. Okay. Sorry, Rob, to cut you off. Yeah. So I was just going to ask because you're very much ingrained with a lot of the sharper community on Twitter. Uh, for your own personal betting right now, are you doing everything yourself or or in this shorter time frame, have you reached out to other people and started working uh, in, in more of a group setting? Um, I think I'm still kind of at the point where I, I can... Um, handle a lot of the stuff myself like obviously um you get limited thrown out so i've reached out to a few friends to like get additional places to play at um and i i do talk to some of the people on twitter which has definitely been helpful um just bounce some ideas off the wall but i don't like have an official like group or partnership with anybody as of yet is that the biggest pain point for you in betting right now getting limited and and banned from shops um i mean I think I'm not one of the people who will ever say like winning is easy. So I think winning is definitely still like 
not something I take for granted. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I think my goal is definitely to kind of reach a point where you can maybe win at the sharper, like pinnacle Chris, but, but yeah, I think right now getting limited is definitely a, a sticking point. Now, given the, the like evolving landscape of sports betting, all the potential changes and, you know, regulatory markets and so on and so forth. What, what do you think, like, how do you see your betting operation working five years from now? Are you paying attention to specific industry trends and developments? Are you part of like the movement that's trying to get, um, you know, a little bit better regulations on, uh, you know, fairness to the inequality to players? Like what, what is, what is the end goal for you right now, Frank, from a betting perspective? So I'll be, <laughs> this is very honest. Though. I think the end goal is to make like the most money possible from it. Um, I honest, I'm not sure how that will be, um, what that would mean five, 10 years from now. Um, I don't think it's going to be the, like, I, I know it's not going to be the route of like TikTok Cause that's just not my personality to be like a media person. Well, you're not on camera right now. So it can't right. be your, so, yeah, your that's, personality. Yeah, that's, that's not my, that's definitely not my thing, but I think you mentioned trends, like a lot of it is just like, you know, there are people like you guys, uh, Spanky, Rufus, Captain, like people who have been uh, winning betters for 15, 20 years, they're all moving into like, you know, trying to set up services that generate recurring revenue from other customers. Um, I think that's a trend that's going to continue. You know, there was like the whole Mikhail Bridges kerfuffle a few weeks ago where like people were mad at the guy who like, put out that he might not play the whole game. Um, Our boy, I, Kirk. Yeah, I think Kirk the, was one issue, <laughs> the one issue I have with that is people are saying like, oh, these guys are, they're just trying to like get likes and clicks and they're like throwing away real money. But that's not true, right? Everyone's trying to monetize, like even these people, he's trying to generate attention so he can then sell whatever he's selling, right? So he's trying to monetize. I mean, he has a different way of monetizing than just betting it, but but everyone's trying to monetize. I think everything's going to go that way. And like, yeah, you have to adapt, like expecting everyone to keep all their edges close to their vest, I think is becoming very rare these days. Um, like Everybody's I say, selling that's... something, brother. I've been saying it yeah, for yeah. weeks. But, but it's fun. It's an interesting convo because the perspective of all the sharp betters and the people who are either doing this like semi-professionally, professionally, they always, including myself, even though I do content as well, you know, my perspective is like, yeah, you know, if, if you don't publicly share that edge, you probably could make a lot more money off of that in the long run. But the inability to for people to put themselves in other people's shoes, it's like, imagine you're not a serious better and you stumble across an edge like that. It's not going to dawn on you like, hey, maybe I can go reach out to all the biggest betting groups that can help me get down on this specific prop, right? Like the, what's dawning on these people is I'm building a brand this is something that my followers are going to eat up. I'm going to put it out there. And like, I mean, it could be you know, frustrating. I get it. But you know, that's, that's the rationale. Like, you don't even know if this guy has like, people are like, oh, this is like generational wealth opportunity. Like he might legit only have like $250 in his account. Right. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to disrespect that guy, but I'm saying for a lot of people that do it, like, what are you going to do? How are you going to make generational wealth? Okay, great. You have like, you have, you have, a hundred bucks in your betting account and you could maybe reload another 200 bucks. Like what it, it, I, I don't really, uh, never really understood that. I think and the other thing is the like, majority of people. I mean, I think you guys just said maybe like you make a lot more money protecting your edges. I mean, like I'm actually, I don't even know if that's true. Like if you take, um, 
like the product bank he's running his odd screen like he charges five hundred dollars a month that's you know six thousand dollars a year per person and how, how many users do you think he has like a few hundred maybe i don't know i i i think that's a good guess i have no i mean i have no idea but let's just say he has two 200 users i mean that's you know 1.2 million revenue every year like i mean that's a lot of money like his margins are going to be sky high um you can easily sell that for, I would say, you know, 10 to $15 million. Like that's, it's a lot of money. You know, it's, and he, I mean, he's given, I think he's probably giving away some edge, but like in return, he's getting risk-free, like pretty nice chunky change down the line. Like, I don't know if we're at a point where keeping everything close to the vest is going to make you the most money. Yeah. So from your perspective, you mentioned Spanky, you mentioned Captain Jack, you mentioned me and Johnny, you mentioned Rufus, like from your, your outside looking in perspective, why do you think we're seeing a lot more betters starting to get involved in secondary products. I mean, just the, the addressable market is growing so much with like the legalization. Like I think 10 years ago, people view sports betting as something very shady, but now, I mean, you see like the DraftKings FanDuel commercials on TV everywhere. I think people who previously wouldn't be willing to do it are much more willing to do it. And because of that, there's just much more money to be made by, uh, having a large uh, subscriber base. Do you view that in a negative light at all? Um, I mean, yes, just in the sense that I'm new and maybe this is just selfish on my part, but I don't have the like standing to make a company like that. And in my perfect world, like everyone would just bet their edges and the smartest people would make the most money. But obviously that's not where we're at and you kind of have to adapt to that. Sound, sounded like a little bit of a jealousy if if I'm digging deeper into it. I mean, that's what I said. Yeah, like maybe maybe on some level I am kind of, I wish I'd been in the betting space 15 years ago and maybe I would have like a company that's also making millions of dollars in recurring revenue every year. But that's not, I mean, that's not the case. Like I don't, like, I don't think I'm going to focus on that. Like, so. Nah, so whatever. Yeah, yeah. Millions is nothing, bro. Don't worry about we, it. We, we, <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I, everyone who's listening right now, you'll get you'll get that one in a bit. I uh, I peeked a bit at the script. Um, yeah, no, like we we can harp on it forever. Like if I, only I was born in this time in life or or whatever, things would have changed, right? Like imagine, I'm not saying that it was like easy to win back in the day, but pre-internet, you know, there was newspaper lines which all the bookies were going off of, and if you know. Michael Jordan was out in a game, you know, you could bet against the Bulls and the line wasn't moving because nobody knew or like that information wasn't accessed across North America. Like that's an absurdly okay, large but, edge. But literally in 15 years, people are going to be saying, man, the, the sports books regulated and they would put out the numbers and then like LeBron would get ruled out and you could still yep. just go and bet it on your phone. That's what they're going to be saying. They're going to be like, on, you could just open your phone and it was still there. The line was still there. There's going to be crazy amounts of things that change. In 15, everyone's been saying this for years. Like, oh, gambling, it's it's, it's going away. It's going to be harder and harder every year. It, it will be, uh, absolutely. But the stuff that existed 15 years ago, like, it was probably the same level of difficulty for the times. Right. Like, it just, it's it's inflation, essentially. Yeah, we have access to technology now and still the people who are best at being able to use their brains are going to win out over the long run. Yeah, like to be fair, you'd be like, oh, you could just find the play in the newspaper. Yeah, but you also literally had to like, 
run across town. Yeah, yeah, you had to with, wait at the like, airports yeah. for the planes to come in so you could get newspapers <laughs> from out of town. Yeah, and you had to run across town in Las Vegas to, to place your bet, and you could only bet in Las Vegas or with. Like, yeah, I think I think it, it's hard back then too. Like I think a lot of people make the mistake of like you think like now like oh you know I'm if I had like twitter right now and i get everything on my phone instantaneously then yeah obviously it would be super easy to win back in the 80s but like you have the same limitations as everyone else so it was probably still somewhat hard to get that get good in on that info back then too the one person that really suffered from being born when he was is joey kanish because if he was born 15 years earlier he basically would have become Stu finer or like jim feist he would have been such a good tout marketer at some point where he could have made millions. That's the one person I'll always point to. Uncle K? Uncle K, that could have done it. Speaking of Uncle K here, sir, we're going to get into gambling Twitter as it's on Rob's topic sheet. Um, first question. This one, this is, not, this is boring. Your Twitter profile says you joined Twitter in December 2021. How did you original, originally stumble on what we call gambling Twitter? Um... So I think it was it was before December 2021. I think it was actually, I think it was when Seth Byrne went on uh, Bet the Process. Like I don't know when that was, but that's when I he called was, me. Uh, he called me a goat blower on that. Yeah, I think he it did was call like, you a goat blower. He did. He did. Um, I think it was bef- it was like right before the 2020 election. I think um, that was kind of the topic there. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I had no idea who he was, but like, I kind of was interested in some of the things he was saying. So started fall he'd like brought up whatever seville all his guys there um a bunch so i just kind of was like all right this is something i want to look into and i guess it kind of started from there <laughs> yeah so like you seem to have been generally well received by by that community um which consists of a lot of the sharper betters in the space why, why do you think that came to be because i mean at that point you know you're surfacing um and this i don't mean this with disrespect but you have you know much more limited knowledge in the betting space just off the time that you had been betting uh but you seem to be able to fit in with this community of of like what deems themselves to be like the gatekeepers of of gambling twitter oh i think i don't know i mean like i actually like at first my uh my idea was to like troll some of the sharper people like um I, i went after like um your old guests like ship shipper um a bunch um i think I didn't you, know that. You think you think he's sharp or no? Oh yeah, he's he's like I I, I really like him now. Like I think he's a good dude, very sharp. Um, what what I loved about Chipper is wait, well, how yeah, he, what were you trolling him about? Well, he roasted me for like a full year on Twitter, and then he came on the show and he acted like we were best friends. Like nothing uh, ever happened between the two of us. Call me like a moron about a million times. The ship, the sh- shipper, ship. Honestly, I've come to like that guy. So, I, well, I I never actually hated him, but uh, yeah, I've come to like that guy. That guy's. That guy's very funny. Yeah, anyways, also, I think... Um, <laughs> he also messaged me after the last episode, and he was like, your plus EV move was spot on, which was that you you got to get a couple mementos of the big wins and put them up. Good. And honestly, a lot a lot of people were, were fans of that one. I appreciate you guys. You guys have my back. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think... Um, I think I was... Yeah, but I think the reason it... I think I maybe get along well with these people. I think our, like... I think we have like kind of maybe similar mentalities to betting sports um, and just like maybe in life a little bit. I think my, uh, so this is a, it's Frank Costanza, but I think the real goal here was actually Larry David, like, you know, in Curb, like his uh, person, the whole idea behind Curb is like 
he says and does all the things on the show that he could never do in uh, real life. And that's this is that was my idea. Like, I'm going to tweet all the stuff that you just can't say or do in real life. And I think that's a lot of what I think those people are also maybe going by on Twitter. Um, so it just kind of was a fit like that. How has being part of that community impacted your betting overall? Like, do you associate with these people regularly? Do you talk betting strategy? Um, do you learn from them and what they're posting regularly? Do you have relationships outside of Twitter? Walk us through that a little bit. Um, I think, I think at first it uh, it was it was a big I would say kind of a confidence booster. Like I had been winning a little bit, wasn't sure if it was just luck or if I really knew what I was doing, but I think realizing that some of these people knew what they were doing and just kind of reading the stuff they were tweeting and talking about, I kind of realized, that, okay, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as a lot of these people in terms of what I'm looking at when I'm trying to bet. And I think that was definitely, um, gave me a lot more confidence than I had when I was getting started. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't, like I said, I'm not like whatever technical partners with anybody, but I do, uh, talk to them once in a while. And it's, uh, it's, it's great to like, just get to bounce like educated ideas off people. I think when I was growing up, you know, if you try to talk about like true shooting with a lot of my friends, they'll just look at you like, you know, you're speaking Chinese or something like, well, you know, we only know points per game. Like what's this true shooting? Um, so it's, yeah, it's been nice to just get kind of a community of people that think about sports kind of more the way I do. When, uh, when you originally listened to that bet the process episode with Seth Byrne, um, Really, you could have went to Twitter afterwards and you could have followed Jeff Ma. You could have followed Rufus. But you, there was something about Seth Byrne that particularly spoke to you there where you wanted to engage with him. Would you say that there's like an overlap of personality traits from him to yourself? Like, what was it specifically that, that um, drew you so to that? He's, he's, he is one of the people I've met in real life. Um, I think... I think on, on Twitter, I think our personalities, maybe even in real life a little bit, are we're kind of, yeah, I think we are maybe a little bit similar. Um, I think some people have at first were accusing me of being his burner. So, yeah, I think our thoughts definitely run a little bit on the same wavelength. Um, so, sorry, they they accuse gambling Frank Costanza as being Seth Burns' burner? I've Seth been accused Burn, of Seth, being... Seth Burns is a burner anyway. That is his but, burner. But, yeah. Seth Burns is a real now, burner. I, I have I've been accused of being his of being like the ship's burner of like Sprott's better's burner. A lot of people were. Uh, yeah, but but why would why would anyone make that accusation? Those are all burners. Burners. Why would someone accuse a burner account of? Having yeah, a burner a, of having an, another burner. I don't know, but um. Well, that would be a sharp play though. <laughs> that yeah. might be a plus EV play of the week here. I mean, Maybe I got another I got burner. Accused. I mean, I got people were saying I was doing the um, the bet the podcast reviews. I was like, you know, I like I review podcasts on my own account. I don't need I don't need a whole other one to do oh, that. Oh, the but, BPR. Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that account uh, that account has mysteriously died off and uh, went off into the sunset over the past couple months. Conveniently, after I mentioned some of the popular vocabulary that's being used. I think someone's. Well, uh, he'll 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 come back to tell me how bad I am. So don't worry, you know. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that person um, will come back and yeah, give no, you no, a seven out of ten, Frank. With uh, a yes or a no. It will be a yes, just because of who you are. It's very typical. Well, but I think um, you were asking earlier. So I think, why did I grab? So I had already I had already been like that wasn't the first bet the process episode that I've listened to. I had listened to some in the past. Um, 
I think, I guess, so I, I just already, I kind of knew who Rufus and Jeff were. Um, Seth Byrne was a new character, so I just wanted to follow more into that and what he was about. Um, and I think, like, so my goal with starting to listen to Bet the Process was to learn, like, how to bet the NFL. Um, and, like, I, I don't want to turn this into, like, bad mouth, but, like, I, I think a lot of what they talk about is just, like, okay, here's my Massey Peabody number and... Like, kind of that's it. It's not really what I was looking for. I want more. Like I was saying, I'm more interested in, like, the matchups and stuff like that. So I just kind of gravitated um, more away from them and got into, I guess, other other people's stuff. If you're, like, a true, like, modeler originator, it's it's got to be nut low for content. Because then all you just say is, like, I make this game. I make this number 3.2. I got this bet on this. I make the total this, I got the bet on this. And then you would really not want to get into exactly why you made it that. Yeah. So you can't really work with content. You don't want to give out like the exact details. So typically speaking, you're right about that. Like what I try to do is give out roughly what my number is on the game and why I think my number differentiates from market, basically. Like I'm not going to just go give out a bunch of stats that people already know, right? Like that. So, you know, if I like, for example, the game we talked about earlier in Frankfurt, right? about the Dolphins and Chiefs. Say I really like the Dolphins in that game, I probably would do my content saying, I make this number in the game, this, and I like the Dolphins because I think the rest advantage is bigger than the market is is making it seem. Or if I like KC, I'd say, I think the rest advantage is maybe being overplayed in this game. So is that actually factored in though? To I, your to your stuff? Well, it depends. There's so many people bet. Oh, is that stuff factored in? Yes. To yours. I mean, the, in the closing line, that was definitely factored in, right? Like, right. I mean, in the, no, no, the well, I'm, line, I know. I'm not saying is it is a factor in the closing. I'm saying the stuff that you're actually, the stuff that you're actually giving out and saying like, yeah, I like the Dolphins because of this number. Are you giving out stuff that's then going to potentially harm your thing? Your edge? So yes and no. So for me personally, I, I toe the boundary. So like I do a lot of stuff now where I will talk about a matchup ba- similar to the way that Frank handicaps games. I think matchups are extremely important in sports, right? I hate people who just put to, I don't say, I mean, I hate people, but I don't like the philosophy of like, I'm just going to power rate every single team in the league. This team's four points above average. This team's one point above, uh, below, put them on, you know, add in home field advantage. This is the price on the game. I don't agree with that at all. Cause I think that there's certain teams in sports that stylistically will fare well against other teams regularly. So that's how I like to do it. I talk about like, defensive coverages. I, Frank said this off the top, right? And him incorporating um, how a quarterback might fare against certain schemes. But I don't give all the bells and whistles when I talk about that, right? I give the very basic. I think if I if I can jump, I think maybe the thing, maybe you don't look, but the thing you leave out is a lot of times I feel like is is the why, right? Like we, we might say like, oh, this guy has like bad EPN success rate against cover three. But like, I think if you like the, ideal scenario is that you can look on film and say, oh, it's because of this, this, and this, like from a technical standpoint, because then like when things change, you can adapt much faster, right? Like let's say a guy has always struggled against whatever man defense. And then suddenly like there's a new coach and in his first game, he plays really good against man. Like if you're purely on stats, you might throw that out as an outlier if you can also can come in and watch film you might be able to say oh like look he's made these technical adjustments and now like this looks a lot more real than than like a one game sample size might lead you to believe 
I know there's a lot of people in the gambling community that that do that, and that sharpens up the line. Question for both of you guys here is, how much sharper, if at all, is the gambling gambling market for NFL than the actual NFL oh, teams? Well, I, it depends on who. Like, I the think closing, like the the way. Sorry, sorry. To answer, explain the question a little better for everybody. The way the teams play, defense or offense, yes, versus how it's factored into the betting lines. Like, if the best modelers for NFL could get behind the NFL team and be like, "No, this is how you do it." How much better would that team be? You think a lot? Possibly, but there's also like, there's there's things that are not realistic as well. So uh, the a- episode I did with Eric Eager, right? I asked him specifically about, well, like why do teams not play the matchups more in, in week? So for example, here's what I mean. You might have a quarterback who kills man coverage. You have a defense that's played a lot of man coverage all year. There ter- tends to be a tendency in the NFL for the, the team to deploy the same type of defense pretty regularly. Some new wrinkles here and there, but if you look at, if you chart teams' defenses over the course of the year, you're going to see a lot of the same rates game by game. And Eric just said to me, well, like, it's, it's not enough time in between games to be able to learn a new defense and just, like, completely change the way that you're playing defense. So lots of teams just stick with that. So I think a lot of people from gambling Twitter, the modelers, would be like, oh, this is incredibly stupid what this team is doing, but it's not practical that they can make a wide-scale change over the course of a week either. So it's like a balance. Okay, fair enough. I, I don't know I if you agree with that, Frank. I agree with that a lot. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people maybe over overlook kind of just the human element. Like these these are athletes. They have a very certain mindset. It's not always the easiest to get them to change how they think. And I think, you know, to maintain buy-in while you're bringing in radical changes is maybe not the easiest thing you can do. So I definitely don't think like everything you can do, like theoretically or on a model can automatically be brought to like the actual game that easily where i do think that a lot of the the best betters in the world or football betters in the world would have success would be being on the sideline during a game and managing the clock managing the clock and helping with like in-game decision making right yeah that's for sure like i i, th- I personally think sean mcveigh cost the rams a, a win this week with from the the punt or from the first half First half, the punt, the decision to kick a field goal down 24-20. There was like a lot of things that could have changed in that game. Uh, and I I think in a lot of cases, there's just like a lot of ego with coaches in the NFL, right? But you could literally just hire someone to stand on the sideline and help with in-game decision-making. And I think team a lot of teams would be better off for it. But I don't think that coaches would ever allow that either. Uh, he also... Burnt two timeouts. Yeah, meaningless. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, things like that just shouldn't happen. And everyone watching knows that these are mistakes, except the coach. And I think that's where the best betters could have a meaningful impact. I don't know how to stress this enough. If you are down points at the half, if you're coming into the half down, tied, or up a little, you 100 million percent cannot take any timeouts right. until the end of the game. No exceptions. Yeah. There's really no exception. Just take the delay a game penalty. You cannot take a timeout until you are stopping the clock at the end of the game if you are down. That's it. You can't take a third quarter timeout. They're so valuable. They're so valuable. I know. And they're, they're taking them to like, oh, we read, we saw something in the defense there. And like, we got to call timeout and like 
call a new play. The Ridiculous. Thing, this, and Frank, I'm not sure if you watched the Rams Lions on on Sunday night, but if, like McVeigh at the end of the first half, right? He they have three timeouts. Do the Lions now? So, uh, so do the Rams now? So do the Lions. So I get it. You're trying to do like your balancing of moving down the field and not giving the Lions the ball back. But they run a play on first down and they pick up six yards. So they now have a second and four. And that is a very high likelihood of being able to convert that into a first down and at least keep the drive going a little bit longer. All McVeigh was thinking about there was let's pick up a first down and run the and get this right. to the half. And I think. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think like one of the things that kind of stands out in not just gambling, but like in, in analytics, when you apply them to sports, like a lot of times what you'll find is like things that happen less often, but the reward is so great when they do happen. Like those are a lot more valuable than um, I think a lot of the teams and coaches maybe realize. Like I would give a very basic example is like in the NBA, you know, a lot of it took people like such a long time to realize that a, a three, three pointer is so much more valuable than a, than a two because like they, they just go in, you know, a lot more often. But it's like, you know, this is, you know, three is 50% more than two. Like when it does go and it's so valuable, like, but people are slow to adjust to that just because I think humans are conservative by nature. So it's just like, like fourth down, like, you know, converting a fourth down, it's the same thing, right? Like, um, you might like, it doesn't succeed as often maybe, but when it, when it does succeed, like the reward is just so great that it outweighs kind of the risk, right? Yeah, totally, 100%. And and I'm like I'm just thinking about that matchup. Like the Rams didn't get stopped in the first half, right? They went field goal, touchdown, touchdown, end of half. So they literally went down the field. They didn't punt as essential or they didn't turn the ball over. And they're just conceding a possession at that point in the game where their offense has a huge advantage over the Lions defense all because they're backed up on their own 10-yard line. They pick a positive play on the first down. And the thing that was really telling to me was they go to the half, sideline reporter gets McVay running off the field. She asks him about Matt Stafford's half. And he's fixated on the fact that Stafford got them to the locker room on that final. Like all he was thinking in his head for that final possession was we cannot give the Lions the ball back rather than thinking we have a huge advantage with our offense against his defense. Let's go and get some points. He's like, oh, Matt did a great job at the end of the half there, being able to get us out, get us a, get a first down, get us out to the half. No, you know what's the craziest part too is they won the toss and deferred. Yeah. So if you're gonna do that, or actually maybe the Lions received, I don't know what it was, but if you're gonna win the toss and defer, why do you then run out the clock? That's the value of the defer is exactly what happened there. Is you get a one minute drive where you burn the clock and then you come up for the second half and get the ball first. That's the value right. of the entire thing but they just completely blew it. Yeah. Terrible coaching decisions. I think there's a lot of people, you don't even need to be that good at betting to make those calls. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's it's not necessarily like you need the best betters in the world. You just need more common sense. How about punting it at the end of the game? Just, yeah. You're going to need to stop anyways. Go for it. This game's over. Like, man, yeah. I mean, they did, Lions ran it out. Fair enough. All right. Uh, other questions from uh, from gambling Twitter here. So, Actually, this one this one could be interesting. Share some key insights or life lessons you've gained from gambling Twitter. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if they're. I think maybe I think just like kind of you know be humble, keep an open mind. I think for me at least, I think maybe 
without like seeing these people, I might have thought like, oh, you know, I'm soft sports betting. Like I'm, I'm so great. It's kind of, it, it, it kind of kept me in check. Like, okay, there's actually a lot of people who are also really smart who've, uh, who know as much and more than me. Um, I think, yeah, I'm not sure. I think actually in a way it's kind of made like, in a way, I think getting more on Twitter is actually like maybe, uh, made it tough to talk about sports with just like my normal friends. I feel like, um, like a little bit ago, I was like right before Christmas, I was on a trip with somebody I hadn't seen in a while. And he's like, he's a big Lakers fan. And, um, they had just like won the uh, in-season tournament and he was like pretty hyped up. He's like, Oh, you know, Lakers have as good a chance as anybody is winning the title this year. And I think anyone who like follows basketball a little bit knows that that's just not true. Like there's a lot of teams that are way better than the Lakers. And if that happened on Twitter, like you can just be like, Oh, you know, you're, you're a moron. You don't know. You don't know ball, whatever. Um, but you know, in real life, you obviously you can't do that or, I mean, you can, but you, you won't have any friends left pretty soon. But, um, so yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know. It's just like, um, Twitter, it's, it's a good release to just kind of, like I said, you can say things that you otherwise can't say. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I've learned, I don't know if there's been any big life lessons I've learned from being on Twitter. Okay. Well, can you share maybe one or two memorable moments from, from gambling Twitter that stand out to you as like particularly noteworthy or satisfying, entertaining um like things that you look back on yeah. and you know yeah. fond um, memories of yeah so this this didn't happen on twitter but um so rufus i think a few months ago went on that uh jay the mcintyre show and they were talking about about like trolls dealing with trolls or whatever um and rufus goes like you know there's this one guy who's like it trolled me as much as anybody but he actually invited me to like uh meet up because we were both going to be traveling in the same city and McIntyre goes like, well, Rufus, like, you can't actually think it's a good idea to meet this person. He's probably like a total psycho manic lunatic or whatever. And, um, you know, that, that person was me. <laughs> so I, uh, I, did, I didn't think I would get a shout out from like whatever radio podcast host and calling me like psycho lunatic. But I was, um, I think I was listening to that on the subway and I just kind of started like laughing in the car and everyone was looking at me like, yo, what's, what's wrong with this dude? Like he's, he's crazy. But, um, but yeah, I found that, I found that pretty funny. Um, you know, Rufus, if you ever listen to this, like I'm still waiting for you to invite me on like a all expense trip to New York to reciprocate my, uh, generous offer of lunch back then. So hit me up. All right. I think we have a couple, um, couple tweets here that Rob prepped. Zach, you going to pull these up here? I, I did a quick search over the, I quick searched at Costanza Betts 2 and at Rob Pizzola. And so if you just double search both those in Twitter, it gives you all the interactions. Correct. I don't use it too much. Yeah. Okay. It gives you all the interactions. Now, full disclosure here, Frank, I probably have you muted for at least a year. So I didn't even know that some of these existed. <laughs> even and I'm like, what has this guy been tweeting at me? over the course of the years. And uh, we have a bunch that have come up, um, but I, I need you to walk me through some of the, the issues. Okay, some, yeah, let's do this. Okay, okay, so this one up on screen, can't wait for Rob Pizzola to complain when someone posts the anthem rehearsals. Uh, lock up people who want re refunds when players get hurt, but feel free to be a crybaby when somebody posts easily obtained info for the public to see. From my perspective, these aren't even like close to being the same thing, Frank. 
So they're 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 very much not the same thing. I think it was just it was the timing that made them go together. Um, I, I this was a while ago. I might not remember right, but I think you had done like a show or podcast where you were complaining about, uh, yeah, that the anthem being leaked. And then there was also like I think this was the Super Bowl. Like some player got hurt, and a bunch of people wanted his refund, like them to refund him. And I think just from my mind, like if you're like the majority of betters are like. Maybe they're only betting the Super Bowl. Like if you're if the guy you bet on got hurt, like it's kind of human instinct to be like, yeah, I want a refund. You know, maybe more serious betters like the the three of us here, like we bet hundreds of bets a day. Like we know like some injuries help you, some hurt you. But if that's gonna be your only bet of the year, like, yeah, no shit, you want a refund. Like versus the anthem, it's like like I said, it's like, you know, anyone can get it if you want. Like, so that's just like it's kind of like that discussion we were having earlier about Mikhail Bridges. Like these yes. things are going to be put out. Like people, like the guy who put it out, he wants to get attention, wants to get a following. Like he wants to monetize that. Um, you know, I, I just think like you got to accept that, and that's how where we're going. Like yes, being yeah, being mad about that is kind of like kind of pointless, right? It's I, I get I get that whole thing. So the the anthem thing for me, I've I've talked about this on the show before, but that was a big money maker for me for many years. What really, really cheesed me about the guy that recorded the anthem time outside of the Super Bowl and posted it to Twitter is that he really, I know it was, it was like good intentions, right? It it, it was like, he thought he was doing everyone a favor at that point. I don't think it was actually like, I want to do this to like build my brand and get a ton of engagement. I think he was actually trying to do people a favor and thought... If I post this, a bunch of people are going to be able to bet this and win money. But in doing that, he literally nuked the market until the end of time. And the it, one yeah, video. It was just like lack lack of understanding that really frustrated me there. No, I get that. I mean, like if you're if you really understand a market and someone else is clueless, you you can get frustrated, but I just Yeah, I don't know. I think it was more the I think it was just like the different stances of like I think you were like Maybe not even you, but a bunch of people were like, oh, these people are such crybabies. Like, why are they asking for a refund? It's like, like, put yourself in there. She's like, if that's the only bet you make this year, like, are you not going to be mad about that? Uh, you, you bring up good points. All right. What's up next? We got, uh, this one is ref- in reference to uh, an appearance that I made on uh, Bet the Process. So Frank tweets, Jeff, to Jeff Ma, you say you like conflict on the show, but then only bring on people who are your or Rufus business partners instead of someone who will really hold his feet to the fire. This one, I definitely took, I responded to this. This might've been when I muted you actually. I took oh, yeah. re- real offense to this because like, how how many times have I called Rufus out before? Like when I don't okay, agree so, with him. Hold on, hold I on, go hold on. on the pod and I, I call him out when I don't agree with him. So this, I actually wasn't responding to you. This was, so I, I might be wrong on this, but the context of this was like Jeff tweeted something like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna grill Rufus about like what he's doing selling golf picks or with unabated, whatever. Um I was just like, you know, like there's a basic rule to decide like if the judge like knows the 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 defendant, like he's gotta recuse himself. Like Jeff is Rufus's the business partner, like they're we bet the process is their brand. Like obviously he's not gonna say anything that like paints him in a very negative light because in the end that's just hurting himself so like i feel like having him like ask the tough questions is kind of like that's a silly idea just because like it's against his interests and you would want 
someone else who might be who's not affiliated with them who would be willing to ask harder questions like i'm not saying you i wasn't really trying to say you didn't or did or didn't i don't know if you went on a pod about that specifically but this was i don't think this was actually directed at you well okay counterpoint to that whole premise though like that that's just what happens in content right like i i i'm when i disagree with johnny we might we might hash it out but like if he doesn't want me to bring something up i'm not going to bring it up no, same, of course. I'm, but, but that's that's the point I'm making, right? Like he's obviously like it's it would be dumb of him to ask like questions they don't want to talk about. So, so yeah. I mean, I guess I just I feel like if you were so either just don't do it or like I think just saying like this is like the definitive word. Like we're gonna hash everything out like without having someone else to who would actually debate it is kind of um, not worth it. But you know, it's their brand. Like obviously they should do whatever is best for them. Like don't really have any serious issues there i guess okay we'll move it along i thought this was more directed at me but we'll keep it going um when rob pizzola said he felt bad for the guy who lost six million in the circus survivor because of the raiders i kept waiting for johnny to run into the studio and scream six million isn't a lot of money i spend that much just on the rent for the bet stamp office um yes. you, you want to elaborate um, on this one yeah so i think this this is actually uh kind of i think this is something that's i felt like has happened a bunch on this show it's kind of just like the trivialization of making money um i don't know if you remember this but there was like the uh this used to be your favorite topic the uh the the billion dollar coin flip yes Billy flip. And, Billy flip. yeah yeah and i think i think johnny said something like well i would turn down 50 million in a heartbeat because i could just uh make that on my own over time and i was like well that's like I mean, most people are not going to make anywhere close to that. Like, that's kind of silly to say, like, yeah, of course I'm going to make 50 million. So that just, I feel like that's just like, yeah, kind of out there. <laughs> I mean, I hope you do. Like, I hope you make 50 million. But I like, would say to, I double down on that, but that wouldn't be nearly enough of a bet. To, um, but like, I just, I mean, like, <laughs> okay. I mean, if, if, if you really think that's like, it's likely like, great. I mean, I hope you, I hope you do hit that number, but I just think it's kind of like, yeah, it's trivializing like how hard it is to make even a million dollars. Like, but ninety nine point nine nine percent of people are never going to reach fifty million. And to say like, yeah, yeah, it's no brainer. I'll, I'll get there one day. Like, that's kind of reckless in my opinion. <laughs> Buddy, with that mindset, you're not going anywhere. I'll tell you that much for free. I, 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 um, I'll, you know, uh, you can be positive. I'm, I'm more of a realistic. Uh, uh, I'm more realistic. I'm. <laughs> more skeptical, more negative, but yeah, okay. Jo Johnny is certainly one of the most confident people I've ever known. And that stems from the, I hate to rehash this. You know where I'm going with this. No. Johnny, I'm just gonna tell you right now. There is no chance you could ever build a formula. Oh, oh buddy, car. I'll build that F1 card. You can, you could not. This, okay, this, this I, have a, I have a very strong take on this one too. <laughs> and this is kind of tied into it. Um, the, the rationale behind I could get a job at like F1 mechanical thing was like, oh, well, I'll just go back to school and get a mech E degree and then I'll get hired. Like, buddy, I can go to law school. Doesn't mean I'll become a U.S. senator one day. Like, these are like the hardest jobs to reach. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't just say like, you don't know what you're yeah, talking my about. degree means the degree is the easiest part. Like becoming a senator, you know, 10,000 law school people want to do it. 50 spots, like do the math. It's most likely not going to happen. The ease at which I can build an F1 car over my entire lifetime, that's minus one zillion.
Bro. Oh, okay, I mean, building lifetime. it, I guess I was I was more Bro, thinking lifetime, about getting lifetime. the actual, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about getting, like, the actual job, I guess being able to do it is maybe slightly different, I guess, but I'm whatever. saying, okay, yeah. getting that actual job is even easier than building the car. That but, could be done probably in about, well, see, that getting the job, I think, would take me longer than building the car, significantly longer, because you would need some sort of formal education to get that job, but building the actual car that's again, I'll stand by this. It's a year project. That's a year project or less. If you don't think Johnny can build the car, smash that like button down below. This is how we're going to get the most likes we ever did. If you don't think Johnny can build the car, smash. But if you do think he can, make sure you leave a comment in support of him. Please leave um, the comments. Can I, can, I, can I throw out like an arrogant challenge here real quick? Sure, too? go for it. Might so, as well. so while we're on the trivialization of money, I think you're, um, you're one of your old guests. I think either... Um, Harud or like Drew, one of those guys, I think they had tweeted something like um, um, to 100K is like not a very big bet. And second tweet is, I think one of them tweeted, they they play tennis um, as a tennis player. Like, I just want to put it out here. Like, let's Ooh. play a match, $10,000. It's 100K is not a big bet. 10,000 should be irrelevant to you guys. I'll play whichever one of you is better. Um, or me and a friend can play you guys in dubs. Like, let's do this, you know, 10K, not a lot of money, right? Um, Circles off tennis match. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, sure they'll be li- I'm sure they'll be listening. We'll, uh, we'll have to let them respond. I won't be able to there, respond on behalf. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of, yeah. Uh, I'm missing some people within the Hammer Network because I don't remember. Off, I know Alex Moretto used to play competitive tennis as well. We could probably put together like a tennis uh, bracket. if we Not really a big were. tennis guy myself. Neither, neither am I. Neither am I. But, okay, you know what? Let's, we're gonna, I'm going to actually work on that on the side. For what, a tennis match? A tennis match. It's got to be Drew, right? Drew was a tennis player, I think. Um, I'm, I'm not I sure. We'll have to let them respond. Yeah. I, the only reason why is I saw Harut play um, table shuffleboard before. And the, <laughs> the coordination was not uh, was no. not there to be a, a good tennis player. He's so. doing you dirty. Uh, um, okay. okay. Th- this, this last one. This, I believe, is in reference to an episode we did with Barry Horse. When Johnny from Betstomp tells you you're being optimistic to the point of foolishness about Bitcoin, it's like a guy who drinks a six-pack every day telling you you're an alcoholic. I honestly don't really understand this one that much. So he's basically <laughs> okay, so, saying, go so, ahead. So I think, so yeah, this this is in reference to Barry Horse. I think he, he said, like, you know, I... Every dollar I earn goes straight into Bitcoin. 100% of my net worth is in Bitcoin. Uh, buying Bitcoin is like buying Manhattan back in 1600 for like a bag of beads and shotgun shells or whatever. Um, you did say something along those lines. I'll give and you I think, yeah, all, all of those. And, they, and I think, so I think you guys are also like on the more optimistic side of crypto, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, yeah, I... I more optimistic than past. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I own crypto, too. Like, I would be very happy if crypto goes to whatever, million bucks. <laughs> Bitcoin goes to a million bucks. Um, but I think, yeah, like, I just thought, like, when, when when someone who's, like, you guys who's already optimistic about Bitcoin is, like, pushing back on you, like, you're may probably at a point of, like, a little bit un- being a bit unreasonable here. So I, I didn't know I was, I, I don't consider myself a Bitcoin guy. That's why I don't really understand this, this tweet that much. Like, I'm not a big... Uh... Well, I mean, I think I'm not a big supporter of that stuff. You've, like, you've done episodes about like crypto, NFTs, top yeah, shots. We, like, I mean, I kind of lump, maybe I'm lumping them together, but I, I feel like you are much more. We have higher, big, we have much higher on Bitcoin on. than. Oh, yeah. uh, no, 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 no. I, I'm I'm not saying I I don't like. It's fun. It's fun to talk about I it. Like I like to learn about it, but I've never been like a guy who's like, oh, you gotta 
dump all your money in Bitcoin. Like, I don't think I've no. ever said anything like that. That's why I'm saying I don't really get it if it's, but I guess, yeah, yes, I guess. I, I'm a more of a Bitcoin guy than a guy that doesn't. That, that yeah, doesn't I don't know. I mean, this, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, just, I, th- I thought it was funny. Um, I, I was kind of amused at the idea that someone is that all in on any one thing, but if you know, we still you, get questions you, on that, you, we do. You. <laughs> We do the com. We still get comments on that. I have a friendship with Barry Horse. I think he's a good guy. He does some of the the watch along NFL watch alongs with me on Forward Progress. But in hindsight, uh, in that conversation, I wish I did push back a little bit more because this guy has to own some U.S. dollars. There's no way he can get away in life. You can't have 100% of your net worth in Bitcoin. He's taking pictures on the golf course, and how does he go out for how does he go out for like a steak dinner? I, I actually don't know. Was he just like a QR code so someone can scan Bitcoin? Like, he's got to have some US dollars. Like, we got to call BS on the 100%. Maybe it's like 98%, something like that. But he has to have some USD. You make valid yeah. points. We <laughs> certainly should have asked him about this on the pod. We didn't, we, we didn't push We've back We've had him on twice, enough. and I haven't asked him about this. The third time, I'm going to have to ask. Well, yeah. like, how, how do you live your day-to-day life? How do you, you, gotta ha- you have to actually have some fiat currency to live your day-to-day life at this point. You don't need the physical cash it per se. Like you can, cer- you can certainly live your life without any physical cash in today's day. Sure. But you make a good point. Like how does he, how does he fly? How does he like buy a plane ticket to travel? Are there any airlines taking BTC nowadays? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't think so. It's a good question. We'll have to ask him. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot him a message right now. Frank, before we get into our final questions uh, here, a very random question because you went with the uh, the moniker of Gambling Frank Costanza, who happens to be one of my favorite uh, sitcom characters of all time. Out of curiosity, what is your personal favorite Frank Costanza moment? Yeah, so he's he's one of my favorite characters of all time too. Um, so I'll do a quick like one or two. Um, so one was my bio for a long time. Like I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're gonna hear about it. Um, love that, that one. Festivus episode. Yeah, Festivus. Then there's the one where like Steinbrenner comes to visit him and he's like, ah, oh, that dude hit like 50 home runs last year. Like, why the hell did she trade? Yeah, Steinbr- George great- George is dead. Your son is dead. And he's like, whoa, why the hell did you trade this guy who hit like 50 home runs last year? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I think those two. What, what, what is yours? <laughs> um, I, I have a few. I think my favorite is when Frank first gets to meet Susan's parents and he's sitting at the table and he's like, you got the hen, you got the chicken and you got the rooster. The rooster goes with the chicken. So who's having sex with the hen? And George is like, no, we'll talk about it another time. He's like, you see my point here? You only hear of the hen, the rooster and the chicken. Something's missing. Something's missing. All right. Says something's missing. All right. Oh, uh, yeah. They're all chickens. The rooster has sex with all of them. That's that's perverse. It's perverse. That's my favorite Frank uh, Costanza movie. I love, Zach, love you're a big Seinfeld guy? Yeah, huge. I've watched the entire series uh, t- three times. Do you have a, a Frank Costanza moment that you enjoy, Zach? I'm putting you on the spot here. Um, I think my favorite is the Serenity Now. Uh, when they're they're selling stuff in the garage, and Lloyd, then, Lloyd Braun. Yeah, and then the other one is just like it's not really because of any cr- anything crazy, but it's the confusion of the the man with the cape, Laird David on the street. Yes. Yeah. Those I think those are my my two. Hey, actually, bonus. There's one. The phone. You know the phone call where he's like, he calls Jerry's dad, and he's like, uh, "You think you can keep me out of Florida? Like I'm moving." Yeah. 
and I dare you to keep me out. Yeah, that was, he, I'm a big he, fan. Big rest fan. in peace, Jerry Stiller. But he could not say Del Boca Vista, no matter how hard he tried. They had to. There's like a million outtakes of him trying to say that. But uh, yes, mm-hmm. good moments. I'm a big Frank, Frank Costanza fan. Great alias. Uh, we'll end it here with our final questions. Uh, we do plus EV and minus EV on the show every single week. Doesn't have to be related to sports betting. It can be if you want. It's totally up to you. But give us your plus EV and minus EV moves of the week. Okay. Um, plus, okay, so I'll do one sports, one not. I think plus plus EV sports. Um, bet, bet some Celtics futures. We don't we don't give out I don't know, don't give out too many picks here, but um, you gotta yeah. attach a price and a, a, a thing. Okay, we can't we price. Can't air it. All right, over something over plus. I don't have screen here, but above plus three hundred, you should be good. For what? To win the title. Win, to the, win title. the chip. Okay. To win win the, the chip, chip plus three hundred or better. Yeah. All right. Um, we, take, we take that I, I as actually, we. I actually like that we're giving out pure straight bets here. No, we never, hey, we've we've given out a few picks outside of the Super Bowl shows, which give out only picks. We've been giving out a few picks randomly, so it's nice to add this one to the collection, and we'll see. We'll see you how it does in a couple I, months. I will play it, and if it wins, I'll put a. I won't cash it. I'll just put a slip up on the wall here. Okay, right, done deal. Um, so minus TV move of the week, ne- uh, negative, yeah. or you have another plus? Um, no, I'm I'm pretty dumb. Don't don't have any good advice. Any more good advice to give out? Um, minus TV. I think this, this is pretty cliche, but I think like. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. It's just like, you know, people say like, um, whatever com- comparison is like thief of joy. I just, I think with all social media, like you see so much of people's lives now, um, very easy to just get hung up on comparing your whole life to the best parts of others' lives. And it, it can just make you feel miserable if you don't uh, do a good job managing it. So yeah, that's that's my my take. I've got some time, a timely plus EV move of the week. Um that I got to share if you're listening and made it through this whole episode. Um, anybody listening and tell this to any of your friends, family, kids, parents, doesn't matter what you're doing. You could always, you can, you literally can do whatever you want. You can do anything. Don't listen to this absolute trash advice. This kid just gave out earlier on the pod where he's like, Oh, be realistic. Fuck being realistic. Do whatever you want. You can literally do anything. You are the only one stopping you. I'm looking right into the camera. No one is stopping you. You are. Be, you can do whatever you want. That's it. That's all I got to say. True, honest advice. Anything is possible. Unless, of course, you stunt your own self. End of, end of rant. Plus TV move of the week. Fair I enough. like it. Fair enough. Well, fair enough is an understatement. That is the, <laughs> best, that is the best advice anyone will literally get. I have a very get. different life philosophy than you. Which is what? I don't think anyone could do what they want to. Anyone can do anything if they really do it. I think it's it. general. Honestly, I think that's generally bad advice. I mean, I, I, uh, I, uh, I'll, I'll just throw this out. Like, this is um, Herodotus. Like, circumstance defines men. Like, men don't define circumstance. Like, I, uh, I don't think you can do whatever you want. Like, you are, like, if we're being honest, you are kind of. This is. I don't want to get into philosophy, but like you're you're constrained by reality. Like I think so. Too. I don't think you All can right. do. We that got in this conversation. Yeah. I don't want. I literally cannot yeah. be in this. I cannot be with this with with this right now. It, it makes no. There's sense. some people that can't do anything. That can't do everything. They can't do it 
because they don't want to do it and because people like you tell them they can't do it. No, it's the complete opposite. They, there's, there's so many counter stories where people are telling other people they can do anything they want and it leads to people thinking that they can do stuff that is not attainable for them in life. Like what? Like anything. There's some people that have a, a certain or, uh, intelligence quotient, athleticism, whatever. The, I cannot be an NBA player. No matter how much I dribbled over the course of the, in my entire life, you could, you could improve yourself to a level that is better than you are now. Anyone can do that. I agree, a but anything. you have to set realistic expectations. So, fair, if you're gonna blow it out of proportion and say this, like, yes, you cannot jump this high because no human has ever jumped that high. You can't fly because no human has ever flew. I'll, I'll accept those as answers. But to basically say like, oh no, like, you got to be realistic. Like you won't be able to out, um, earn, you have to work this job and be safe because you won't be able to out earn this. This is something I'm super passionate about. If it's, if other people can do it, then you can too. You're not the first person to have all these issues. You can do, you can do anything. And, and listen, I might have to rescind a little bit and bring it back down to earth. Like not stuff that's not humanly possible, obviously. But if somebody, if people around you are all doing it, then you can too. Okay. Can and should. We can, we, 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 can, we can end this now. Fair enough. Can and should is a different story. You, you can do better than you are doing right now if you really, if you I, really I want I like to. The, listen, I, I like the optimistic outlook. I seriously do. I think generally speaking, it's a good message, but it's, it's not applicable for everyone. You, you need to, you just, I'll just say, you need a blend, right? Like you, you got to yes. have a bit of both. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like some people's brains are wired differently. Like some people look at numbers and they literally cannot do simple math or they don't process numbers. They're not working on it. They're, no, but like there's literally, there's people who associate numbers with colors, like just by the way that their brain works. They could, that person can never actually be an accountant, no matter how hard they try they, in life. They can improve in that thing. You could literally be weak and then you go to the gym. All right, you could be the weakest guy. You sure. go to the gym, or you don't even go to the gym. You, you start exercising, and it's a it's a slow build up. Yes, that's it's a science. It's proven. That's you a goal that's attainable up. for everyone. You yes. you you build it up slowly, and you do it. Okay, you're really 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 bad at math. Okay, yes, there's probably that really really low percentage that has a serious condition in which it probably is prohibiting them. But for the vast majority of people who say, "Nah, I'm not good at school. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at this," you're just saying that. You are, you're not, you're just saying that. You wouldn't mean you're not good at math. Okay, you might not be great at math right now. Go do a little bit of training and build it up like you would at the gym. Start small, build it up. It's conditioning, it's science, it works. Fair enough. Final question. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what advice would you give to your former self? Um, I think like, I'm definitely kind of like, creature like of habit get kind of into my own kind of daily routines maybe i don't shake them up enough i think so yeah my advice to you know, five years from younger self would be just to, like kind of get push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit more um try new things like don't don't like resist change as much maybe um yeah i think that's pr probably kind of cliche but I do, I do think like you know be more adventurous uh take try more new things basically yeah i'm with you there man if the COVID years taught me anything, I did a bunch of new things that I never would have previously done in life and very much more open-minded to anything nowadays. So I think that's, um, 
pretty good piece of advice. His name is, well, his not real name, but his name that we're calling him. Yeah, yeah, I think um, just just so everyone knows, like, unlike your guy Big D, like my friends didn't call me Frank Costanza because I'm a 70-year-old uh, Jewish guy from Queens who gets mad at everybody. But, um, so yeah, not not my real name. <laughs> I, I was, like, before I talked to you for the first time, um, I thought there was a very wide range on what you were going to be and and sound like. One of the two was was young guy. One of the two was like old army veteran type of guy. That's like edges kind of like eroded over time. I didn't really know what 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 it was, but I knew there was going to be no in between. And I knew and we had, we got the young guy. I didn't I didn't really know either. It could have gone either way. Could have <laughs> gone anywhere. It was not a middle aged man. I could tell you that. I could tell you wasn't a middle aged man. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Costanza Bets Two, and uh, he might roast you even if you don't follow him on Twitter. Might happen every now and then. Happened to me several times. But here we are hashing it out, and we've come to the conclusion of this uh, episode. Wait, wait, quick, quick, quick. Am, I, am I am I always going to be the uh, the only guest you guys don't follow on Twitter? I mean, not that I need more followers, but uh, just, we don't. So I know is that is that is that, do I have the honor of that? You know what? I I shot Chipper a follow after he came on. You're getting a follow right now. Ah, thank you. It means the world to me. From Rob Pizzola? <laughs> You're getting a follow right now. There it is. Button has been clicked. We'll shoot you a follow from Circles Off as well. Let's go. No, Zach says no, we're not doing that. We canceled. We kibosh that. He says that. We follow Zach, 10 accounts. We're Zach not literally dropped the hammer. No follow from the Circles Off account, but Rob's followed you on his personal. I don't use Twitter. Otherwise, I'd ship you a follow as well, my man. Thank you for joining. Appreciate the great discussion. Um, really good back and forth. We'll see you in the future, and we'll definitely see you on Twitter. Sounds good. Circles Off episode number 137. Make sure you subscribe here if you enjoyed the content on Circles Off. Make sure you smash that like button down below. And of course, share this out to your friends as well. If you enjoyed the interview, let other people find it. We're back next week with another guest. Enjoy the week, everyone. Peace out.